Good evening. It's good to see everyone back together on the Lord's Day. We are thankful for your presence here tonight. Before we get into the lesson tonight, I want to make a couple of requests of you, actually several requests of you. Number one, if you've got questions for questions and answers, please turn those in to me. I think I have enough for this next session, but I will be running short after that. I always like to know what's coming up. If you've got sermon requests, please turn those in so I can be thinking about sermons that I have in upcoming months. And then thirdly, if you have not turned in a picture for the Can You Identify This Person, I am starting to run out of pictures, and I know that there are some old people who haven't given me pictures yet. And so if you will uh, please turn those in. And it can be anything. You can snap a picture that's on your wall and just send it to me on the phone, and I can deal with that. Some people have said, well, there's other people in it. I can Photoshop them out, and we can make it work. So please send that. And one other thing, and that is, I'm currently working on a sermon on why I want to go to heaven. And I am asking people to give me input on that. Why do you want to go to heaven? And so if you want to post that on my Facebook or text it to me or email it to me, uh, that would be helpful. My email is don at donblackwell.com. Really easy to remember. And you can send that to me, and I would appreciate that very much. Currently, there are seven men's names who have been put before the congregation to be considered for deacons. And in light of that, I thought it would be appropriate that we actually study about deacons tonight. It's not one of those things that we take time just to have a sermon on very often, but um, it's something important right now in light of what we're doing. You know, the fact that a congregation has deacons is indicative of the fact that activity is going on because deacons are workers. Deacons are servants. Being a deacon is not just a title that you wear. It is not a reward. It's not a popularity contest. A man is not made a deacon because he has lots of money or because he has a good sense of humor or because he's one of the good old boys. A man is made a deacon, number one, because he meets certain qualifications laid out in the Bible, and number two, because he has certain skills to perform a work that needs to be performed. A man is not made a deacon just so that he can hold the office of a deacon. He is made a deacon because there is a work that needs to be done. Some of the works that deacons do are not very prestigious. They're not very glamorous. In fact, some of the works done by deacons are very menial tasks, but we appreciate them so very much because they need to be done. But the fact that a congregation has deacons and needs additional deacons is a great indicator because churches that are dead don't need deacons. Here is going to be the first point tonight, and that is very simple. What is a deacon? The Greek word for deacon is diakonos, and it's a very interesting word. It is used in reference to a lot of different people in the Bible, not just deacons as we're thinking about them tonight. For example, in Romans chapter 13 and verse 4, you will find this Greek word diakonos. It's translated there as minister. And it's not even talking about a person who's a Christian. It's not even a member of the church. It's talking about a civil authority, but he is called a diakonos of God. That is, he's a minister of God. Why would he be called that? 
because the government is ordained by God. And so as a government official, he is a minister of God, a servant of God. And it's used in that sense. And Romans chapter 15 and verse 8, are you ready for this? The Lord Jesus Christ is referred to as a diakonos. And it is translated there as a minister. It is the same word, though, that we're talking about tonight, diakonos. In Romans 16 and verse 1, Phoebe, our sister, is called a diakonos. That is, she is a servant of the church. Isn't that interesting? It's the same Greek word that refers to the office of a deacon. In 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 5, Paul and Apollos are called diakonos. That is, they are servants. They are ministers of the church. Now, this can be very confusing. How can Jesus and a woman and a person who's not even a member of the church all be called deacons? And it's because and this, this person who's not even a Christian, he's called by this same term as an office in the church. And here's the answer to it. The word diakonos is a generic word. In the generic sense, it can just mean a servant or a minister. And then there is an official sense, an office of a special servant, an office of a special minister. And that's the way it's used in 1 Timothy chapter 3 for the office of a deacon. And that's the way we're talking about it tonight. The office of this special servant or minister called a deacon. All right, here is the second point. What a deacon is not. Number one, a deacon is not an elder. He is not an overseer. You know, in the New Testament, elders are called pastors, shepherds, overseers. A deacon is none of those things. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, you've got qualifications for elders and deacons, and it is two separate lists. They are not the same thing. The elders are described as those who rule well the church. Not so with deacons. Deacons are not the overseers of the church. You know, sometimes in various religions and denominations, they have seen fit to run the church under a board of deacons. And the deacons are the overseers of the church. That is without biblical authority. The word deacon is not the same as bishop, elder, or presbyter. A deacon is a special servant or minister working in a particular area. Number two, a deacon is not a junior elder. Now, you might say, well, yeah, we get that, but I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but some people view it this way, and that is that a man first becomes a deacon, and then he'll eventually get promoted to elder. It's almost like a rank. You have to be a deacon, and then you become an elder. It's not that way. The fact of the matter is, you've got two separate sets of qualifications, and a man might be a deacon, and he might be a deacon until he's old and dies. Furthermore, a man might be an elder, never having been a deacon. It's two completely separate roles. There's no more correlation between a deacon and an elder than a preacher and an elder. And just because a man is a deacon does not mean that he one day will be an elder. Now, oftentimes that works out that way, but he's not a junior elder. Here's the third one. A deacon cannot be a woman. Now, again, this is one of those things we used to not have to say. It wasn't a problem, but in the last 30 or 40 years, because of this gender equality movement in our country, you've got to, you've got to mention this. You've, you've got to say this because some, even in the Lord's church, 
have gotten to the point that they are pressing this, that women can be elders and that women can be deacons, and they can't. The word here in 1 Timothy 3 says that the deacon must be the husband of one wife. The word that's used here for husband is a word that refers only to males, never to females, never to a joint group, always to males. We talked about this this morning when we were studying 1 Timothy 3, talking about elders. Now, sometimes people who are trying to push for female deacons, they'll turn to Phoebe and they'll say, look at this, Phoebe is called a diakonos. There you've got it. You've got a woman who is a deacon. But again, 1 Timothy 3 that we're talking about tonight is the office of a deacon. A woman can't serve in the office of a deacon, but a woman could be a servant in the generic sense. Many people, as we said, even non-Christians can be a servant in a generic sense of the word diakonos. All right, here's the next point. I'm going to be quick about this. I want to go through the qualifications of a deacon. There are 10 of them listed in 1 Timothy chapter 3. The reason I want to go through them is because we've got seven men whose names have been put forward, and this next week they're going to be installed into this office, assuming that they meet these seven qualifications. Now, one of our elders this morning, Larry, got up and he said, if you have any objections to, this men, uh, to these men, let the elders know. He said, but make sure they are scriptural objections. And so we're going to go through the ten qualifications here tonight. Number one... And a, a deacon must be, verse 8 says, reverent, according to the New King James. The Old King James says, grave. And the ESV says, dignified. This is so important. Now, when you hear that he's to be grave, this doesn't mean that he doesn't have a sense of humor. It means that he's serious about serious things. It means that he loves the church, he loves the souls of men, and when it comes to things relating to the Lord's church and souls, he's serious about those things. These are not lighthearted. You know, it's like Matthew chapter 13 and verse 45, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant man who while seeking goodly pearls, he found a pearl of great price and he went and sold everything that he had and he bought it. That man recognized the value of that great pearl and he got serious about that thing. He sold everything to get that because it was that important to him. This is this man. He's serious about the church. It is that important to him. He's not lighthearted. Faithfulness to the Lord is not a subject that he takes in a light manner. Number two, he is not double-tongued. This is interesting. The Greek word here literally means to tell the same story but to tell it in two different ways. We understand what it means to be double-tongued. In other words, he's not a liar. He doesn't tell one person one thing and then change the story when he tells it to somebody else. He's not one who will spin things. He is a person who always tells the truth. You can count on him to be a straight shooter. He's not double-tongued. This one's not hard to understand. Number three, he is not given to, the, the Bible says, to much wine. Now, this one's been a stumbling block to some people because they look at this and they'll say, well, a deacon is not to be given to much wine, but verse 3 says that an elder can't have any wine. And so what that means is a deacon can drink some, but an elder can't drink any. So a deacon can drink as long as he doesn't overdo it. 
That is nonsense. That is not what this is teaching. There are several things I want to point out about this. First, everyone that I know who has any respect for the Bible understands that drunkenness is wrong. And if a person's going to hold the position that you can drink some, but not a lot, then he has to deny the fact that there are degrees of drunkenness. He would have to believe that you can take a certain number of drinks and not be any extent drunk, which I think contradicts both the biblical definition and also the scientific definition, which we can talk about in another lesson later. Secondly, it's interesting to notice that it is said about both elders and deacons, verse 2 and verse 11, that they must be sober. The New King James uses the word temperate, but it's from the Greek word sophron. That word means to be free from the influence of intoxicants, according to Vine's Bible Dictionary. Now, here's my question. How can deacons have a mind that is free from the influence of intoxicants and at the same time be social drinkers? They can't do it. So to say, well, deacons, they, they can be social drinkers, then they're going to violate this. I would also ask this question. If the Bible said that a deacon can't be addicted to heroin, would we turn around and say, well, that means it's okay for him to use heroin recreationally so long as he's not addicted to it? No, that's not what it means. You know, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 7 says, be not overmuch wicked. Would we conclude from that 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 means that it's okay to be a little bit wicked? Is that the conclusion? James chapter 1 and verse 21 says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflowing of wickedness. Do we look at that and conclude, well, the Lord wants us to lay aside filthiness and the wickedness that's overflowing. So as long as we don't let it overflow, we can engage in a little bit of wickedness. That, that's not right. What we have to understand here is when you see a prohibition of a big thing, it is never licensed for a little thing. And that's what people are doing here. Prohibition of a big thing is not licensed for a little thing. I think also a deacon who drinks moderately or socially, as we would say it, he's going to have a problem with verse number 10 that says that a deacon must be blameless. Vine's expository says about the word blameless that there can't even be a charge or accusation against his character. And one who's drinking socially, he's going to have a charge and an accusation. So you cannot find authority here for a deacon drinking alcohol. No Christian should be drinking any amount of alcohol because it violates what the Bible teaches. Number four, a deacon is not to be, the, the New King James says, greedy for money. The Old King James says, that he is not greedy of filthy lucre. Have you used that phrase lately, filthy lucre? That's not the way we say it. But what it means is he loves money. He's covetous. He likes stuff, and he likes it a lot. And the principle is that a deacon can't be a covetous man. If a man is so consumed with his business that he can't focus on God, then he can't be a deacon. If he is so consumed with making money, then he can't be a deacon. And he's got to be somebody who is honest about his money. He's got to be someone who has integrity with reference to his money. He's the kind of person you would do a business deal with 
and you wouldn't give it a second thought because you wouldn't have to stop and think, eh, I wonder if he's going to, I mean, you know, this man's honest. Everybody knows he is honest. He wouldn't cheat a man if he had a chance. No matter how much money he could make by doing it, he's not covetous and he's not greedy. His reputation and the Lord's church comes before money. Here is number five. Verse 9 says that he must be holding the mystery of the faith in pure conscience. Now, the mystery there is not saying that the gospel is mysterious or this is anything uh, that is strange. That's not what he's saying. He's referring to the fact that the gospel in the Old Testament was a mystery. It's now a mystery revealed. He holds the gospel with a pure conscience. In other words, he is a sincere Christian. His conscience is clean. What that means is, to the best of his ability, he does what he believes is right. He is not a compromiser. He sticks to his convictions. He is a person that when something bothers him, he's going to think, I can't do that. He's going to be a person who's sensitive that way. He's got a childlike faith. He wants to go to heaven. He wants to please God. And he's very serious about his conscience. He's like Acts 23 and verse 1. Paul says, I've lived in all good conscience before God until this day. That's a deacon. That is, he wants to live in a good, pure conscience. Next. Verse 10 says he must first be tested. That's interesting because verse number 6 says about an elder that an elder can't be a novice. The word for novice in the Greek means newly planted. If you think about a plant that's newly planted, it means it hasn't been there long, it doesn't have a lot of roots. An elder can't be newly planted. Now, when he's talking about deacons here, he makes a very similar statement. The text says that he must first be proved, and then it says this, listen. It says, and let these also be proved. I think what he's saying is this, elders have been Christians for a period of time so that you know them, you see them, you see their character, you know that they're qualified because it's been put to the test. You've seen them live it. And he says about deacons, let them first be proved. They've been around long enough in the church that you see that they're faithful, you see how they live their life. You see that they're always at worship services. You know the character of this person as a Christian because you've seen them live it. If a person becomes a Christian and three or four weeks later you're making them a deacon, you've missed this one because this is not going to work. The New King James says, let them be tested. And so a, a new convert or an inexperienced man can't be a deacon. Why is that? You know... People can fool you for a short time, but over time, people's true colors start to come out. And what this is saying is, they've been around long enough that you have seen their true colors. He's proven himself, and he will stand. Here is number seven. He must be found blameless. Now, we talked about this in class this morning because it's also one of the qualifications of an elder. Exactly the same word. It doesn't mean that he's perfect. None of us are perfect. 1 John 1.8 says, If any say that he has not sinned, then he is a liar and the truth is not in him. You can't find some sin and say, Hey, this man sinned one time. Well, yes, he, he does. All of us do. It's not saying that he's perfect. David Lipscomb says that this word means a man whose character is unimpeachable. 
He is known because he lives a pure life and he has spotless integrity. People look to this man and say, he's a good man. He's an honest man. This is a man of integrity. It means that's the way people think about him. If they think about this man and what comes to their mind is, yeah, that guy's got foul humor. He doesn't meet this qualification. If they think of this man and they think, ah, he's a womanizer. He doesn't meet this qualification. If they think of this man and they think, you know, he forsakes the assembly a lot, then he doesn't meet this qualification. This is a man that when you think about him, he's got a pure character, and you think that is a good man of integrity. Number eight, their wives must also be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful, in all things. This is very interesting because it's not stated about the wives of elders. Now, why do you suppose that is? I don't know for sure, but maybe it's because a man who is an elder, the Bible says, rules his own house well, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Titus chapter 1 says that an elder must have faithful children. The word there for faithful comes from the Greek word pistuo. It's where we get the word uh, belief or faith. It means he has children who are of the faith. It means he has children who are believers. And so if he rules his house well, he's got children who are believers, maybe it's implied that his wife is going to be these things. I don't, I don't know why it's that way. But on the other hand, a deacon, it does not say that his children must be believers. And so a deacon might have children that are younger. But it's a different set of qualifications here. And so if a man is going to be a deacon, not only do you have to look at this man's character, but you also have to take precautions about his wife. Even though he's faithful, you've got to check out and make sure his wife's faithful. Now, somebody might say, well, you're asking me to be a deacon, not my wife. You know, why, why, does, why does that matter? Well, if you look at verse 12, you'll see why. He says, for they have used the office for, or they who have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree. The American standard says a good standing. What it means is if a man serves well in the office of a deacon, it affects his reputation in the community, his influence in the community. And the point is, if you put a man into the office of a deacon, he immediately is recognized in the community as a representative of the church. And even more so than a Christian, you say, well, all Christians are representatives of the church, but in a higher way. People would say, well, he's a deacon in the church. You know, people say, well, he's a preacher in the church. He's a deacon in there. He's an elder in the church. It elevates the level in which they think about it. But if his wife isn't faithful then that destroys this. Can't you see someone saying, well, he's a deacon in the church and his wife's always out slandering people and gossiping. And so it says his wife cannot be known as a slanderer. You know what a slanderer is? A slanderer is a person who goes around, yeah, 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 they're always gossiping about other people. It's a person who, it's a woman here specifically who's tearing other people down. He said, if his wife's like that, she can't, he can't be a deacon. The wife has to have a good reputation. She has to be grave, that is, reverent, serious about spiritual things. She has to be faithful. And so when you're thinking about a man to be a deacon, you also have to think about his wife, according to 1 Timothy 3. 
All right, here is number nine. He must be the husband of one wife. Now, these five words tell us a lot. Number one, they tell us he must be a man because a woman cannot be this. A woman cannot be the husband of one wife. Secondly, he must be married. If a man is single, he does not qualify for the office of a deacon. Thirdly, he cannot be a polygamist. He only has one wife. Now, like we talked about this morning with reference to an elder, if a man had been married before and his wife died and he remarries, that does not preclude him from serving as an elder or a deacon. Because when his wife died, he is no longer married. And when he remarries, he is the husband of one wife. Sometimes people will say, no, he's the husband of two wives. No, he's not. If he's the husband of two wives, he's living in adultery. It, this is written in the present tense. It does not say he has been married to two women. What it says is he presently is the husband of one wife. And so if his wife dies and he remarries scripturally, then he meets this qualification. Likewise, if a person has a scriptural divorce, that is, he's the innocent party, he puts his wife away because she committed adultery, and then he marries again into a scriptural marriage, he has one wife. God released him from that first marriage, and assuming his character is intact, then this man would be qualified. This would not preclude him from being a deacon. All right, number 10, ruling their children and their houses well. Well, first, I learned that a deacon must have children. Now, there is a key distinction here that I see between elders and deacons. Elders must rule their house well, verse 4, and it is a measure of how they will rule the church, according to verse 5. Deacons don't rule the church. Titus chapter 1 and verse 6 says, an elder must have faithful children. Again, this is from Pistuo. It is a word that I believe indicates his children must be believers. That is not said about deacons. And so a deacon might have younger children. He might have children that haven't even reached the age of accountability. And so they're not Christians. They're not old enough to be Christians, but that doesn't prevent him from being a deacon. But still it says that he has to rule his own house well. And so if he has children that are belligerent, or he's got children that are always in trouble, or he's got family problems that people can point to to say he's not ruling his house well, then that's going to reflect on the church, and that man cannot be installed as a deacon. You know, it is interesting to me because when you go down the list of the qualifications of deacons and, and elders for that matter, most of these apply to all Christians. Now, not all Christians have to be married, not all Christians have to have children, but most of these qualities are ones that would apply to all Christians. All right, to summarize, a deacon is serious about serious things. He's honest. He doesn't drink alcohol. He is not greedy. He's not all about money. He lives faithfully according to his conscience and according to the gospel. He is not a new convert. He's been proven. People in the church know that he is faithful in his living he doesn't have any accusations that can be sustained against him. He has a faithful wife, he has children, and he rules his own house well. We've got seven men whose names have been put forward for you to consider these qualifications listed in the Bible. 
and to let the elders know if you know any reason violating these things that these men or their wives do not qualify. Thank you for listening tonight. I appreciate it so very much. We always extend the Lord's invitation because if your life is not right with Christ, there is nothing more important than that. And tonight, maybe you need to obey the gospel. Maybe you need to become a Christian by hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized. We would be thrilled to assist you with that tonight, to take your confession, immerse you in water for the remission of your sins. Maybe you're here tonight as a Christian, and you have a matter that needs to be taken care of publicly, public sin in your life, or desiring the prayers of the church on your behalf. We would be honored if we could assist you with that. Tonight, if you need to respond to the invitation, won't you come? Together we stand and sing the invitation song.